Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 explores The Great Debate, a special series discussing the future of public health policy in America. We spend more money on health care than any other nation, yet we are behind in virtually every measure of health. How can this be? Welcome to our special series on health care policy. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Schroeder. Dr. Schroeder is Distinguished Professor of Health and Healthcare, Division of General Internal Medicine at the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, where he also heads the Smoking Cessation Leadership Center. He currently serves as Chairman of the International Advisory Committee of the Ben-Gurion School of Medicine and is a member of the editorial board of the New England Journal of Medicine. Welcome to ReachMD. Thanks. It's good to be with you. Dr. Schroeder, can you please explain this paradox to us? How can we spend more and seemingly get less for our health care dollars? Well, it's not every businessman's dream to <laughs> do that. We have a very expensive medical care system with high prices and customers, at least those with health insurance, who are avid to get more. And yet, because of a complex set of social factors, our health, as we measure it in terms of how long we live, how functional we are, how many infants die, is not very good at all. What is the percentage of our GDP that's actually spent on health care? We spend almost one out of every $6 on health care, 16% of our GDP. And that's just been creeping up over the years. In the 1970s, it was in single digits, 8 or 9%. And it just keeps going up. And it goes up generally about twice the rate of the rest of the economy. So that if the economy grows by 2%, spending for health care goes up about 4%. Most other countries aren't even in double digits, although I think Switzerland and Germany are about maybe 10.5%. So we are really number one in, in healthcare spending. What was the watershed moment, if any, where this change increased so much? Well, I think it's more like boiling the frog. If you put a frog in a beaker of hot water, it'll jump out. But if you put him in a tepid beaker and just gradually increase the temperature, the frog will die without knowing how hot it is. And that's what's happening with, mm-hmm. with healthcare. It's not jumping up huge amounts every year, but it just keeps going up inexorably. There was a little while in the mid-1990s when health insurance companies were saying, let's do managed care, and they were really cutting back on pricing. They were not paying doctors and hospitals nearly as much as they wanted. And they kept healthcare spending flat at about 13.5%. But there was a big backlash to managed care. The lid seems to be off now, and it's rising again fast. Why is our care so costly in this country relative to other countries? Well, it's costly for a whole variety of reasons. One is that we pay people in the healthcare sector more. If you go overseas and you look at who runs a hospital, it's a director of a hospital. Over here, it's a hospital CEO. Our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, our ambulance drivers, all of them get more money than the rest of the population as compared to overseas countries. Then we do more costly stuff. We're more liable to have bypass surgery, to have artificial hips put in, to get dialyzed if we're in in kidney failure, to get cancer treatments if we have cancer. So there's that. And then finally, how we die. At the end of life, we're much more liable to wind up in an intensive care unit, getting lots of very costly things given to us. So it's a whole variety of reasons. One of the things that's often thrown about, which I didn't hear you mention, is that our population ethnically is much more diverse than other countries, say, like you know, those in Scandinavia. Does that have any role? 
Well, there are several things that I didn't mention. One is that some people think it's because our population is aging. And it's true that our population is aging, but in fact, we have a younger population than most other Western countries, certainly a lot younger than, say, the folks in, in Japan, because we're immigrating lots of people. So that gets me back to your question. We have a more ethnically diverse population than, say, Sweden or Iceland or the uh, Japanese, but there's no real evidence that that costs us more. The other thing that doctors always mention is, what about lawsuits? And it's true that doctors in this country pay much higher premiums for malpractice. They're much more at risk of being sued, and they tend to practice a defensive medicine. That means ordering more things. But even if we didn't have that, we'd still be maybe at 14.5% of spending on health care. So we are still a very costly country. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the former head of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Dr. Stephen Schroeder. We are discussing health care in this country relative to the rest of the world. So, Dr. Schroeder, what's the biggest piece of our health care spending pie? The biggest single piece is hospital care, which is 30%. But in fact, that's down. 15 years ago, it was 40%. So we've actually moved a lot of hospital care out of the hospital. For example, it used to be if you had your, your cataract out, you'd go in the hospital, stay one or two days. Now that's outpatient surgery. But although it's 30% of the pie now, that's a much, much bigger pie than, than it was when it was only 40%. So the total amount spent in the hospital is much, much more than it was. What's number two? Number two would be doctor's bills. And of course, doctor's bills are tied up with not only the doctor getting paid, but the decision to you know, have x-rays and paying for those and decision to get hospitalized and to take medicines. So if we're going to do any control over healthcare spending, there probably has to be some influence on how doctors act when they see patients. Now, when we look to the quality side of the equation, how does the quality in this country measure compared to the other countries? That's a great question. And the answer is we don't know. Because although there are very good metrics of how much we spend on healthcare, outcomes such as life expectancy from, from birth, there really aren't any standardized measurements of, of quality. Some groups like the Commonwealth Fund, which is a foundation in New York City, have measured how we do on a standard set of illnesses like asthma, breast cancer, colon cancer, and they measured us with other English-speaking countries, the UK, New Zealand, Australia, and we're about average. We do better in some. I think we do very well in breast cancer. We don't do quite as well with uh, asthma but it varies, and I can't give you a summary answer to that. Mm. Well, and certainly I think my personal opinion is that how do you measure quality of life kinds of issues, which the statistics never seem to do a very good job at? Quality of life is an interesting one where we actually may do better. There are a couple of interesting nuggets in these international data comparisons. One is that the U.S. does pretty badly in all categories except for life expectancy from age 65. And our over-65s do better, relatively speaking, than our under-65s. And that may be because we don't do much rationing by age. It also may be that because we're so much more liable to do replacement with artificial joints, if your hip or your knee isn't doing well, cataracts, hearing aids, those sorts of things, that maybe we function better. But the burden of proof is sure on the healthcare system to prove that all that money 
is really worth spending. Of course, on everybody's mind now is health care reform, especially with the elections coming up. But it sounds like current costs and, and managing that really is one of the fundamental issues we need to get a hold of. There are two arguments on that. One is to say, let's get everybody covered. Let's cover those 47 million people who aren't covered with health insurance, and, and then we'll take care of costs later. The counter-argument is we've got to do them both at the same time because any kind of a coverage that we get is just going to bankrupt us unless we get costs under control. And very smart people argue both points. Now, what has the experience in the states that have attempted reform? I'm thinking Massachusetts, Oregon, California to some extent. What has that experience taught us that might be able to be generalized into a national sort of forum? Well, the experience in Oregon showed us that a good reform will fail if you don't control costs. The experience in Massachusetts is still too early to say, but the Achilles heel in the experiment that Massachusetts is doing is whether they can keep costs under control. They are one of the most costly states in terms of healthcare spending. And um, where the extra revenue is going to come from if premiums keep jumping up faster than revenues is something that I don't think they've faced there yet. So it doesn't sound like anybody's got it figured out, huh? (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. By the way, it's not just a U.S. problem. I mean, every country wants more care than they're willing to spend on it. It's just that we start at such a higher level, and we have all these people not covered with health care insurance. So we sort of have this double whammy. Of course, one of the huge issues from a clinical perspective is controllable sorts of risk factors like smoking and obesity. Would increasing prevention services or public health sort of education services, is that a way ultimately to control costs? Well, it's an important factor, and it would give you a little bit of an edge. I think where it really does better is making quality better. I mean, you can argue very cynically that if someone dies under 65 from a lung cancer, then they don't get on to Medicare and the taxpayers don't have to pay for them. So everybody dies. Everybody generally gets health care at the end of life. And so living till 90 instead of till 65 won't necessarily save you health care money, but it'll certainly make the lifespan much more pleasant and also much, much longer. There is some concern that with people getting heavier and more of the type 2 diabetes coming on and, and at an earlier stage, that we may not be dying at a faster rate because of that, but we may be suffering chronic illnesses more. And that's something we're going to have to have to watch. But I don't think you need to invoke cost savings to say, let's live healthier. It's the best way to go, and it ought to be the goal of every clinician to help their patients stop smoking and to see if they can stay fit and not eat too much and, and exercise regularly. Do you see perhaps increasing reimbursement for those sort of services, which now, you know, we don't get much for encouraging behavioral sorts of change? One of the reasons why we have such a costly system is that we have tremendous pro-technology incentives built into our fee-for-service payment system Mm -hmm. so that um, you get a lot more if you use a gadget and a lot less if you do counseling. And the only Systems that don't do it like that are the the Kaisers of the world that do HMOs, but that doesn't seem to be spreading much. So, yeah, until we recalibrate our fee-for-service payment system, doctors aren't going to have the fiscal incentive to do the right thing. So why is that? Actually, you bring up a good point. Why hasn't systems like Kaiser, why don't we see more of those? I don't know that either. Here in California, Kaiser is a big deal in the 90s tried to spread and become much more of a national force. And I think it didn't 
work as well with different cultures, particularly down south, as it does here. In California, it's a major force, millions and millions of people. I think seven or eight million people in California are Kaiser members, and it sets a dominant tone in terms of rates of hospitalization, those sorts of things. I think if costs keep going up and if Kaiser is able to do a better job in, in having a control over theirs, my suspicion is that at least on the West Coast, Kaiser is going to get an increasing share of, of the patient care market. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. You're quite welcome. We've been discussing the state of healthcare in the United States with Dr. Stephen Schroeder. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special series on healthcare policy on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157 and The Great Debate, a month-long special series and discussion on the future of public health policy in America.